You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Here we are at episode 7 of Fly on the Call, Candid Conversations on Music. This week, instead of encouraging you to hit up a band camp should this conversation intrigue you, I'd instead urge you to check out a live video. There are some terrific videos to be found on YouTube that capture the energy of Perennial's live performance, and I will put a link in the show notes to my personal favorite, an Austin Pudding Live at Labyrinth audio session from earlier this year. That brings us to our guest. Connecticut slash Western Masses Perennial. You could try to find them in art punk, post-hardcore, or a variety of other underground genres, but to truly understand what they are, you need to listen. The band has a strong sense of themselves musically, ethically, and aesthetically. It all combines to create the intriguing mystery that is Perennial. The band is releasing an EP this year to hold fans over while working hard on finishing up their second LP. But once you're indoctrinated, even that will feel too far away. Enjoy. When I saw you open for Slingshot Dakota was the first time that I'd ever heard you. And um, like since then, like learning more about you, it really strikes me as kind of like the perfect fit, the way you guys both have kind of like that positivity and like the thankfulness and like encouraging other people within the music industry and stuff. So I think that was like a really cool way to discover you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we love playing with them. Um, Slingshot is a fantastic band full of wonderful people. So we're we're always happy when we get to see them, uh, <laughs> and especially happy when we get to play with them. For sure. <laughs> and I was like definitely like immediately drawn in by the sound. Um, it definitely like it invoked like a similar feeling to like Refused or Melt Banana, maybe even like a little bit of like Page Ninety Nine. Um, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about like the like the influences in that way? Sure. Yeah, I think. In the case of Refuse, that's definitely a foundational influence for us. Definitely a band that that we uh, really love and and learned a lot from on a number of levels. Uh, Page ninety nine is is certainly an influence as well, especially on the newer stuff. Um, going for for sort of the real dynamic sound that they have. Um, was definitely something that informed some of the newer stuff they were writing. So, yeah, those are those are both definitely bands that uh, that have meant a lot to us, and I think are are a big part of why Perennial sounds the way it does and performs the way it does. Yeah, and I, I saw in like a couple of interviews you were talking about um, kind of how 
when you were starting the band and kind of coming up with the sound and everything, you were looking at both at bands that you admired like sonically and ones that you admired ethically. Um, how did that kind of influence Perennial? Yeah, um, I think both of those are really important aspects to us. Um, you know, specifically like Fugazi, for instance, we really admired their um, ethics around all ages shows and ethics around DIY. Uh, and we, you know, we thought that we should continue that, that work. Um, and so we try to only play all ages shows. Um, and it's become something that we're a little bit known for and something that's really important to us. Um, and allows us to make art in a way that feels really genuine and safe for us. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I guess like the, the tagline for perennial is, um, like the new sound of the avant-garde. Can you tell me a little about like what that kind of like means to you? Sure. To a certain extent, it's sort of, um, tongue in cheek. We thought it would be kind of, kind of fun to, to give ourselves, a tagline like that. We were we were just thinking about things that, you know, in in the long history of rock and roll and and rhythm and blues and pop music, stuff that we don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of those things is you used to see, even on the back of records, you know, record like you know in the sixties, record labels would put like taglines for for different bands or, you know. Uh, so like a, a garage rock band like The Remains, who are from um, from Boston, it would, you know, there would be like a tagline on the record label that would be like, or on the back of the record, that would be like, the new sound coming out of the Northeast or something, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. And I just thought, you know, there's, there's all this stuff that sort of... Um, that I, I suppose just makes it more interesting, adds adds a bit of intrigue, adds a bit of mystery to a band. I always like bands that made that instantly made me want to learn more about them and, and how they saw the world. So so choosing just like a little catchphrase like that, I think was uh was part of that impulse of, of sort of missing that kind of um that that instinct to put on a show that I think is uh not as common nowadays as it was say um you know during that 60s renaissance yeah for sure i mean i guess kind of it's it kind of makes sense the way that's kind of gone away because you know with like social media and everything kind of a lot of artists just kind of put everything out there um but like it, it was interesting the way that that like um worked its way into the way i discovered you like because like i said i had not listened to you prior to seeing you live. And then I think going on Bandcamp was like the first thing that I saw and it was right there, like the new sound of the avant-garde. And I was like, okay, that's like, it definitely like connected with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a, a fun way to be introduced to us is seeing us live. I think that, um, you know, finding us on Bandcamp is great, but seeing us live really gives you a whole picture. Yeah, and I mean, I know you kind of started the band with the idea of having like the most energetic live shows possible with like as little downtime as you could. Um, is that something that you feel like is a constraint with the recorded music or how does it like play into that process? I don't think so. Uh, to a certain extent, we treat 
the the record as the record and the live show is the live show so there's stuff that we do on the album because both with symmetry of autumn leaves and on the full length we're finishing up now um we really like to treat the studio as an instrument we like to pile on different effects and samples and and everything to make it this really three-dimensional uh, headphone experience and then the live show can just be uh you know a uh, a streamlined whittled down version of that so that we can be playing the same songs on the record they might be these these much uh bigger more sonically rich experiences whereas live they're just these really immediate sharpened things and we, we just treat one as one and the other is the other so that's they're they they work in their context right when you're listening to an album on headphones you want something that's going to light up every part of your brain whereas i think live music needs to be exciting and it needs to be vital mm-hmm. um, otherwise you might as well just listen to the recording for sure yeah and um, I mean, kind of like going off of that, like three of the four songs on the debut EP have kind of made their way in different versions into other releases. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like the evolution of that and how it, um, how like the music continues to change even once it's kind of officially recorded and released? Yeah, I think it's, um, sometimes it's just that we we have a version so for instance you know massachusetts scenic byways is one of the first songs we put out and then once chelsea started singing more we decided to do another version where where she would be more present vocally and then um sometimes i just i'm i'm drawn to this idea that if you're really into a band you can start to really do some archaeology and find all these different versions of songs. So for instance, you know, the Beatles have the version of Your Mother Should Know or Strawberry Fields Forever that you can find on the proper albums, but then you can go digging and find the version that's weirder or heavier or more minimalist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can sort of see all the different ways that a song can be, can be, uh, recorded right that there's that there's the the bones and the skeleton of a song but what you put on top of it there are a million options i think we just enjoyed that process of trying out new versions of of the same uh framework yeah and in the beginning we had recorded a lot of our stuff before we really were playing a lot of shows and so you know, as we began playing, we were like, oh, actually, I like this better than how we have it recorded. And then we would, that's sort of why we have a couple versions of some of our songs. Mm-hmm. Because recording it, or even during the process of recording, we, you know, we would have one draft and then we would be playing it live for a couple months and we would change some things. Um, and so that's sort of a fun process. It's sort of, yeah, like the history of of our songs (laughs) yeah for sure and i mean like going back to you mentioning like the beatles like i i'm definitely like i get into like little periods where i'm like super into like digging into like everything about them and stuff and um actually 
the first time that I heard like the single version of Revolution, like the really distorted heavy guitars and stuff, was uh, I'd picked up like just one of their like compilation records out of Goodwill or something. And I put it on and I was like, wait, I know this song, but not like this. And it was like, it was such a really cool experience. And I like that version of the song is probably like my favorite Beatles song. <laughs> That's interesting. So, were you from more? Were you initially familiar with the White Album version with like the acoustic guitars and? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's huh. interesting. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they're a good example of that, where they'll, you know, uh, they're not afraid to record a song a bunch of times. <laughs> and I just, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I figured, why not? It's it, I, I sort of presumed if we found it interesting, hopefully, other folks would as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't think it could hurt in any way either. So right. <laughs> definitely. Um, and I mean, going back to kind of like the idea of the live show, um, I mean, you guys are really like kind of tour horses. You play like a lot and um, with like such a unique sound, you kind of play with a bunch of different bands. Uh, how does that kind of work for you? Like, have you found it to be easier or harder um, to find bands that like you fit in with hmm. um it's a hard question i think that we often end up on really diverse bills and i think that's the most interesting show for us to play um i like i don't want to watch the same band four times um and so i like when we play diverse bills um and often we can either be like the the least heavy band or the heaviest band <laughs> on a show. And usually that seems to draw some attention. So, you know, if we're on a really like traditional hardcore show, um, we'll be the lightest band and people will be like, whoa, that was sick. I didn't, I hadn't heard of you because, you know, that, that community of bands can be sort of, uh, such a tight-knit family that they all know each other mm -hmm. um and so that can be a nice surprise and then when we're the heaviest band on like a more emo or indie show um people still appreciate us even though they might be kind of blocking their ears more <laughs> um but yeah it's i think it's really fun i don't i don't think there's a problem like i don't think we have a hard time finding shows um that we fit on because we do bring a unique uh, live experience. And I think that, you know, even if people don't necessarily enjoy our music there, they are at least entertained. Yeah. And um, I mean, one of the things that I think stood out to me when I first saw you and also stands out in like the recorded versions um, is kind of like the role of repetition in the songs, but not quite in like the typical way of like choruses. Could you talk a little bit about like about just kind of like the, that structure and like like the role of repetition? Sure. So um, sometimes there's there can be a conceptual reason for it. So for instance, the symmetry of autumn leaves begins and ends with two different versions of the same song. And there's sort of a pun in there about symmetry, right? That it, it begins and ends the same way. So the album is symmetrical. So sometimes it, it comes from a conceptual place. Um, other times I just think, you know, as, as atonal and wild and, and loud and raucous as we get, a lot of our songwriting values and instincts come from stuff like 
Motown, where there's a lot of emphasis on um, on telling a good story and having each part of the song be memorable and actually contribute to the whole. So I was reading this interview with Smokey Robinson where he said, uh, you know, the, the famous singer, Motown producer, songwriter, uh, you name it. He was talking about how the key to a good and memorable song is to have one central idea that you build around. So that the idea is, is always, um, is always right in the foreground and becomes this, this really memorable thing that you can latch onto. And I, I really like that advice. And I think it guides a lot of, at least what I've contributed to perennial, if it's riffs or lyrics or structures. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're all really big fans of pop music, you know, widely defined the last 60 years of, of popular music. And so I think we learned a lot of our lessons from that and repetitions, a, a big part of, of that, uh, musical language for sure yeah and i think it adds a lot to kind of like the re-listenability of it and also um kind of like just like i feel like the symmetry of autumn leaves kind of needs to be um taken in all at once so you do kind of create like a world within it um was that something kind of intentional on your end yeah absolutely we we did our best to make all the songs connect um there are a lot of interludes and parts that fade into other parts so that it all feels like one cohesive experience so that hopefully you know it feels like one 22 minute track as opposed to pieces that are discrete and and separate from one another we we really like the idea of of one listening experience that's one thing that guides both our records and our live shows the idea that it's just one huge burst of energy for however long we're doing it and then you know just as quickly it's it's over yeah like with our live show you know we we only stopped so very few times that sometimes people are surprised when i'm like oh yeah we played eight songs in that set like really i thought that was three songs you know um so i think similarly to what chad just said the album as like a full concept is important to us Sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, another thing that kind of stood out to me is kind of like the the found sounds that you use kind of throughout the album. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I I recorded a lot of those found sounds. It's something that I really like to do is notice uh, the sound environment I'm in and record. So um, I have like hundreds of voice memos on my phone because I just record whenever I hear something interesting um, from like purposely dropping things or purposely, you know, stomping through leaves to like listening to frogs. Um, And so I wanted to, I wanted to add some of that to the album. Um, And it's something that I've been interested in my whole life. I did a lot of um, recording in my childhood childhood on various different cassette tapes um and just something that I wanted to keep exploring in perennial mm-hmm. and as far as like the writing and recording process like how does how do the found sounds like fit in to that process they we've been adding them towards the end um they're not really shaping so much um songs but sort of using we use them to add to the song so um you know 
they're sort of, they're different, definitely separate worlds. So, you know, we have a song, we want to fill it out a little bit. I think about the found sounds that I have, um, or found sounds that we want to have on there, and then we'll go out and try to get those. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like finding just like the, the right fit for whatever you need, whatever the situation calls for. <laughs> it would be really cool if there was a found sound that inspired a song, but that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <laughs> and I know you've kind of talked about how Chelsea, you're going to be kind of more prominent vocally on like the newer stuff. Um, could you talk a little bit about kind of coming into that role? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Perennial is the first band that I sang in ever. And it took a little bit of uh, a little bit of effort on my end in terms of feeling comfortable with it. Um, but now I love to do it, so it's great. Uh, and so we're gonna add more. It's kind of, it's nice. I like bands that have multiple voices, so mm-hmm. it's good that we can do that as well. Um, yeah, but it was just sort of a process of feeling comfortable with it and experimenting with it. Uh, and yeah, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of work and a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure like the fact that you guys, you play so many shows kind of helps you like kind of jump right into that <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's strange for us to have like multiple weeks without shows. <laughs> sure. Um, and I know you were talking kind of like as early back as like February about um, being in the studio, like working on LP2. How has has that process been and how has it kind of like evolved and what have you been like working on with it since then? So I would say we're probably about 95% done. Um, The the structures of the songs and sort of the rhythm tracks and the organ and guitars, all that came really quickly. And so since then, we've just been really deliberate about getting the vocals just right, getting all of the, the extra layers of sound like the interesting stuff that's that's going to make the album rewarding listen after listen that's the stuff we've really been taking our time with um because we haven't really sort of decided when the release is it means that we have plenty of time to listen to something for a while get the mixes just right you know work on a third mix a fourth mix so that we're ultimately happy with with this album mm-hmm. Yeah, but the recording process has been really fun. Um, and it's taken a long time, a little bit, because I was sick for a couple months every time we were trying to record. Uh, and so that kind of delayed us a little bit. But um, yeah, working with Chris is really wonderful. We've we've been having a lot of fun in the studio, uh, feeling really comfortable. Um, this is the first studio that I recorded vocals in, so that's really, it's been a learning process. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really fun. And I think that what we have so far is, is really, really close and really exciting. Um, and along the lines of symmetry. So (laughs) I think people that liked symmetry will also like this album. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, earlier you kind of mentioned um, like bands like Page 99 kind of coming in more to the new album. And I know in a couple of the interviews that I read, you kind of talked more about like the 60s and Motown stuff coming in as well. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I guess just kind of like how has the process come and especially like blending in those multiple influences, how did that kind of work for you? Right. Um, well, I think it was a big part of the the opening idea as we started to deliberately. So we had a couple songs that we had already been working on that, that were sort of rolled into this album, but I'd say a good two thirds of it we wrote with the premise of trying to write the the heaviest most intense music we've ever written but to find ways of pairing it with other sounds that you don't often see in post-hardcore or garage punk so stuff like 60s soul or or post-bop and experimental jazz from the late 50s and early 60s so things that we listen to just as often as you know stuff like page 99 or, or these arms are snakes or blood brothers the stuff you would maybe more immediately associate with perennial sound mm-hmm. we wanted to look for ways to to bring in all of the stuff that that we're most passionate about as musicians mm-hmm. i think it's like a really fun and dynamic record too so you're you know you're you do get a, a nice flavor of different genres all in all in one record so mm-hmm. uh yeah, there's there's some stuff on there that I'm really excited for people to see or hear. <laughs> for sure, yeah. And so, so do all those kind of things come together, like, directly, like, sonically? Or is it more, like, kind of, like, the vibe from this one thing and, like, but mixed with the sound of another thing? Right. So sometimes, um, sometimes it's, it's uh, that we'll get ideas from from music that we listen to outside of sort of traditional boundaries of what we would call punk. And that will sort of get incorporated into what the perennial sound is, I guess. But there's other times on this record where we really emphasize just how drastically we can move from something that sounds like Thelonious Monk or Eric Dolphy into something that sounds like, uh, refused or something something really really heavy so you know sometimes it's a matter of of finding a balance between the two sounds where you can maybe sort of let the rhythm or the harmonic ideas of a soul song inform a punk song other times it's for the first minute it might as well be minimalist jazz but then all of a sudden it takes this hard turn into just really bombastic loud heavy stuff for sure yeah and that's kind of harkens back to live shows while kind of like keeping the listener on their feet and kind of keeping them engaged in that way too yeah exactly (laughs) um so I, i feel like kind of the aesthetic of perennial and the ethos and the music are all kind of very well defined in some ways could you talk a little bit about like the differentiation between those things and do you see them more as like a separation or more as like all kind of working together that's interesting um i would start by saying that the the one thing that i'm at least really really interested in are bands whose sound and image and worldview is so distinct that you can immediately sort of summon up a, a picture of them immediately, right? So that, that idea of, of, of making sure that everything is 
is really bold and and tangible and stands out and is almost sort of iconic or cinematic or something like that right mm-hmm. like um and, and there's there's a million examples of those right but for instance you you know it's it's pretty impossible to hear like a rolling stone and not picture 1965 bob dylan in 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 every way right the the black sunglasses the the tightly tailored suits the 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 telecaster all of it is just immediately comes to mind i love i love the idea of that mm-hmm. of creating this um this whole existence for a band where where you can sort of summon up all the parts of it whether you're seeing the band live or listening to them or reading about them so that's i i think that everything fits together in terms of sound image what do you think yeah no i agree um i think that you know uh when we were first starting out and we weren't matching um at shows it did have a different vibe to it um and you know i remember our first show where we were all matching and i was like this feels a little bit funny to be (laughs) at a show all wearing the same outfit um and it's, you know, it's something that's constantly talked about with us, too. So people people pointed out probably every single show, um, whether it's like, haha, you look sort of funny because you're matching two other people, or whether it's like, oh, that was so sick, and you guys match. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that um, aspect. It does sort of uh, you know, it kind of reminds us of what our what our goals are. Um, and remind, it kind of uh, coalesces our our image and sound mm-hmm. um, and aesthetic all together. Sure. Yeah, I, I like it a lot, definitely. And I like I like all of our flyer work um, and how the album cover looks. And um, yeah, we try to keep sort of a consistent image and try to use like similar fonts the whole time things like that where we're really sort of thinking about um what we're putting into the world Mm -hmm. artistically uh and visually yeah and i just think i I think one thing that that chelsea and i really thought of is what you know think of all we, we would sort of ask ourselves think of all the details that we would put into the band we would want to see you know, so if, if I was at a DIY show and there was a band that all wore matching head to toe uniforms and I just saw them walking around throughout the night, <laughs> I'd be wondering what's that band going to sound like. Right. So it already it already creates this this dynamic of there's this extra dimension added to it mm-hmm. that hopefully just adds a bit of excitement or intrigue or you know, even if even if it's bizarre or surreal to see you know, these, these three people wearing these, these matching outfits go insane on stage for 20 minutes. That's, that's great. I want that. I want that reaction of, of sort of what did I just watch, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's a big part of it too, is, is a lot of our decisions are guided by what would we want to hear? What would we want to see if, if we were sort of designing a band um, from square one? Yeah, I, I think that's really cool, and it definitely makes for like 
an experience out of the shows especially and and just as being a fan of your band and like also that kind of like intrigue with like the matching outfits kind of goes back to what you were saying uh, at the start of the interview about like the tagline and how that kind of also conjures up like a oh like what could this be what will this sound like and stuff (laughs) right yeah yeah and we are trying to have fun with it too so uh, it's fun for us to to really put on a show and, you know, having the the matching uniforms and having, you know, a really planned out set um, is important to us. It, it makes us uh, stay on, sort of stay focused. And um, I think it makes it more fun for us. Yeah. Plus, you know, why should the, why should the 10,000 seat arenas get the, the planned out, choreographed show you know there's something there's something really interesting to me about the idea of putting that amount of uh sort of design and planning into a set that sometimes you're playing for five people you know Mm -hmm. hopefully hopefully that proved to be you know special or memorable even if it's because it was so out of left field for the folks in the audience that's that's great too Mm -hmm. well thinking about shows with five people we you know, we like to think of when we play live, we want to approach it as if, you know, it's not the audience member's fault if a ton of people don't show up and we should give them a good show too. Um, you know, it's disappointing when you, when you are excited about something and then because there's not a lot of people in the audience, the band is not, you know, is not actually putting on a good show. Mm-hmm. Plus, if I'm one of the five people in an audience and the band I go to see still goes insane, <laughs> like there's 50 people, that's that's such a good story. That's such a good memory that like the band still gave it their all, even if it wasn't whatever ideal circumstances one one hopes for when yeah. it comes to you know, there being a line out the door or some some fictional scenario like that. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's definitely, like, when you think of, especially, like, the, like, proto-punk bands and stuff, it's, like, hearing about, like, these legendary live shows and stuff, like, that kind of just builds into the whole kind of backstory of them and everything and really something that stands out. (laughs) Right. Um, And I I know one of the interviews that I had read, I think it was you, Chelsea, talking about kind of the way that you act during performances is like very different from the way that you act in kind of like everyday life and how that can be surprising for people who know you or even just people who like go up and meet you after the set or whatever. Um, Could you expand a little bit on that and like just kind of the idea of having that kind of separate personality? Ah, sure. Um, I, I have spent many years doing work, um, like for my job, um, with children. So people usually think of me as, um, you know, very sweet, uh, and, and kind of calm. And so the perennial, perennial version of me is a lot different. It's sort of a release for sure. Uh, I am, uh, a person who is very pro hug <laughs> and um you know and i really like to make sure people are having a good time and feeling good and safe in everything i do um so i think that's where the biggest crossover is uh 
But yeah, perennial, for people that are not interested in that type of music and some of my, you know, my work friends, for instance, uh, might find it to be really, really a weird version of me um, (laughs) to be, you know, more theatrical and aggressive uh, in the perennial live show. But yeah, I mean, they're both, they're definitely both um, aspects of my life. (laughs) And I find perennial to be um, something that is a really wonderful way to, to express feelings. It's time once again for our weekly creative shout out. Today, I'd like to shed light on the podcast Welcome to Geekdom. Host Deanna Chapman wants to talk about whatever it is her guest is passionate about. It can be a movie, TV show, comic, book, band, or anything else. And the variety is great. Hearing someone gush about something they hold dear is a treat, even if you haven't experienced that specific media yourself. I've actually been a guest on a few episodes, my favorite of which centered around geeking out about my favorite band, The Wonder Years. So scroll through the feed, see what piques your interest, and enjoy. I like to always ask kind of like the open-ended question of um, like, what's a recent challenge and a recent success that you guys have faced? Uh, recently, we played two shows in one day. Mm, that was a challenge, but it was a fun one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, this is, <laughs> I think we're maybe cheating a little bit. Um, <laughs> challenges don't have to be negative. <laughs> this, <laughs> this feels like a humble brag, but um, we... We, uh, yeah, we had an afternoon show in Boston and, you know, played the set and played it how we would. Uh, and then we had another show uh, a good two thirds of the way across the state in Fitchburg and, you know, played the same set length with all the bells and whistles and made sure that neither show suffered because we booked two in a day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, we're we're in our thirties, and I mostly have a candy based diet. So <laughs> it's it's sometimes sometimes you just gotta figure out how to how to make it work and make sure that's you're you're giving it your all. So that was a bit of a challenge, but a fun one. <laughs> yeah, it was a challenge. We definitely were tired, um, especially with like we got to the second show with so much extra time, and we were just like sitting around waiting and like. <laughs> just getting sleepy but it was really fun um the success well that would be a success too those two shows uh true but we can't cheat that much we have to at least come up with a different answer for that. uh let's see finally scheduling this podcast that was a good success um let's see well uh our our next ep that will be coming out probably in early December. Um, I think that's a really great success because we are putting it out with Red Scroll Records and we're really excited to be joining the Red Scroll family. Um, Yeah, I think that that's one of my biggest successes right now. And we had a lot of fun writing those songs and and, uh, sort of taking a break from uh working on lp2 to put out a cassette um yeah right i think generally in the last year i feel like we've we've arrived at 
realizing the version of the band that we had wanted it to be all along so that the live set feels like how we want it to feel and you know um the presentation the uniforms i think i think um it seems like folks are are listening more and more and are are uh, at least ent entertained and, and interested in what we do so all of that feels like like success for sure. Yeah. And I totally blanked on asking <laughs> about the EP, but I was curious, um, how, what was like the process of getting that together? Like, um, like it sounded like the way you were just talking kind of that the songs kind of came together after the ones for the LP. Um, how did that kind of come together? Right. Well, Red Scroll reached out asking about doing a release with us and we knew that the second full length was probably you know, it would at least be spring 2020 before we could realistically hope that it would be out there for folks to hear. So we did want to give people sort of a sense of what perennial sounds like in late 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, two of the songs are, one song is going to be on the full length mm -hmm. as you hear it on the EP. So in some ways you can think about the EP as sort of a single off the forthcoming album. Oh. Um, one song is a drastic reworking, so following in that, that trend <laughs> we've done since day one, it's a, it's a drastic reworking of a song that will be on LP2 as well. And then uh, two new songs where we were really playing around a bit more with um, trying to, to marry... Um, electronics and moments of real sort of soft quiet with the type of perennial stuff that that folks are more familiar with mm -hmm. so in that way is it like expanding more on the lp2 or kind of like showing what's to come i think um i think some of some of both um so the the two songs that are from the lp obviously will, will give some sense of what's going on although not Certainly, well, I don't think give away the whole sort of sonic palette of that record. But the the song that we're currently finishing up that's not going on the full length, I think, is really different from anything we've ever done. I mean, it's it almost it almost has this um, this this quality like uh, broadcast or, or stereo lab or even parts of Kid A that really sort of uh, rounded warm electronic uh feel to it but you know punctuated by just loud garage rock mm -hmm. gotcha so so that's that is a new development that isn't necessarily on the second full length that that turned towards sort of uh ambient electronic stuff lp2 is a lot more about um i think marrying post-hardcore with with soul and yeah. and jazz and, and pop music yeah well i mean both those versions of perennial sound really rad so <laughs> definitely thank looking you, forward to you. hearing it <laughs> um and then the last question that i like to ask everyone is just kind of for either a piece of advice or an observation that you've had recently um either about music or life in general just something that you'd like to share that's a big question <laughs> hmm. well this this is this is sort of advice but i also think it's just um 
a a request from perennial which is if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about starting a band or you're thinking about writing your first novel or you're thinking about going back to school or you're thinking about starting a nonprofit to help those in need let this be let this be the moment where you decide officially that you're going to do do that make that stuff uh commit tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that to making to making that thing real the world is a scary place right now and we we need everyone's help we need everyone to make things and encourage other people to create the stuff that they've always dreamed about creating so so uh my advice slash my my very sincere uh plea from perennial is to help folks who need it and uh make sure that that Tomorrow you start doing that thing you've always wanted to do, whatever whatever it might be, as long as it makes the world a more beautiful place. Wow, I almost said, I was going to say, <laughs> the world needs you. So that's almost exactly what, what Chad said in a Absolutely. much shorter version. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're here. If you, if you need somebody to listen to, we definitely, you know, want to give you hugs or if you you need or if you need someone to listen to you yeah exactly rad yeah (laughs) um and i think i've talked about this in actually like a couple episodes but so i might end up cutting this part but like the way you're talking about kind of just going out and starting to create was kind of like my exact experience with this podcast like i was feeling really kind of like burnt out with writing just like I would love talking to bands, but then it would take me weeks to finally get the motivation to transcribe and write it up into an article and stuff. And then I was like, I kind of just threw myself into the idea of starting a podcast because that was the way I would be able to continue to be working with bands and talking to them and spreading their message and stuff. Um, and it like came together like super quickly after that. And I've been feeling like super inspired by it. So I definitely love that advice and I've followed it. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, that's great. And I think, I think there's, there's really important advice in there about, about really persevering and, and, and keeping at it so that even if, you know, the first version of the thing you had planned out doesn't quite work, you know, look for the second or third or fourth version that might work better, you know, Um, find, find the alternative route that will, that will help you achieve the thing that you're that you're going for, right? Don't give up. And that's episode seven of Fly on the Call. Thanks so much to Chelsea and Chad for taking the time to chat, and to Perennial as a whole for everything they do. Keep an eye out for their EP later this year, and if you're in the Northeast, there's a large chance they'll be coming your way sometime soon. The band is quite the experience live, so get out there and experience it. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at flyonthecallpod. And feel free to email any questions, comments, or concerns to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. We'll be back with another episode next Wednesday, and until then, keep on rocking in the free world. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff. 
as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.